uh, keep your Bibles open as we uh, look at particularly um, Matthew uh, 3 together. I decided that it could only be by divine providence that uh, uh, this Sunday we just happened to have Hannah's baptism uh, and at the same time, without any planning, we just happened to have a reading, a Bible reading, uh, that was all about baptism. Uh, the, the, uh, the word occurs five times in the reading, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, and so I decided that could only be by divine providence and that we needed to talk about what is baptism, uh, given the occasion. Uh, and to, to have a look at the passage today and think about um, what, what is baptism. Um, before I do that, I want to uh, share with you, uh, and um, I'm hoping that I can make this clicker work because it's not giving me um, much joy at all, but um, maybe, uh, Jason, you can... Uh, there we go, it works. It's, sometimes it does that. This is a photo of me at my baptism. It's almost uh, 20 uh, years ago, uh, and it was a really special day for me. So uh, the handsome young guy on the left there, that's me, uh, and, um, and that's, that's my best mate next to me, uh, Richie. This is my best mate to this day. Um, that guy there, Andrew Harper, was my young adults pastor, and, and he was really influential uh, in, my, in my life and growth as a disciple of Jesus. And then the guy there just leaning against the table... Uh, that's Peter McPherson. He was the senior minister at the church, um, and he later became my boss for, for, for the next 12 years. I was working uh, for him as a youth pastor at, at that same church. And so baptism for me is, is really special, and I, I just have really fond uh, memories of that time in my life. It was on the 24th of February, 2002. Uh, here's my certificate to, to prove it. Um, 24th of February, 2002. Every year I mark it uh, with joy and celebration uh, for what Jesus has done for me and done in my life. And I want to tell you a little bit about how it all happened. Um, I just finished year 12 uh, at, at school and, and I was incredibly anxious and insecure. That's me there. Um, uh, and and uh, it's at the end of year 12. You might be able to see the writing on my school shirt. Um, and I'm there with, um, with Mr. K. Mr. K was my maths and physics teacher. Now, the important thing you need to know about that uh, is that at the end of year 11, he told me, Kieran, whatever you do in year 12, don't do physics and maths methods. <laughs> and guess what I did? <laughs> physics and maths methods. Uh, so now you have a little bit of a sense of why I was feeling so anxious and insecure uh, around that time of my life. It was a very poor choice. Um, but I was also anxious and insecure because I hadn't met the Lord Jesus, uh, the rock uh, on which to build my life. And so it was in that context that I went to a youth camp. Um, so, much of it, so many stories I hear happened at youth camp. Uh, and I went to this camp uh, and the teaching was on Joshua. Now, you've got to remember about Joshua that he was a young man and, and the Israelites were on the, going to take over the promised land. And this was a land that was filled with giants and hostile armies, right? So he had every reason to be anxious and insecure. And I felt a little bit like Joshua looking out on the rest of my life, a land filled with giants and hostile armies, feeling anxious and insecure. And here's what God said to Joshua in chapter 1. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged or dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now those words struck me like a thunderbolt. And I went, that's what I need. I need God to be with me wherever I go. And I needed to do it in his strength. 
And so one night at the camp, I went to the speaker and I just said, I need this, I need this so bad. And, and his name was Chris Duff, James Duff, older brother. And he, and he prayed for me in that moment. And I can just remember being overwhelmed on the one hand with a sense of my, my, my guilt and my shame because I'd turned my back on God and I'd let him down and I just felt incredible sorrow for that. But at the same time, this overwhelming sense of his love and his grace and his forgiveness in cleansing me and renewing me and that he was with me. And I remember going home from that moment, sorry, going back to my room, walking back to my room knowing that I would never be the same. And I was never the same. Uh, and, and it was only a month after that that I got baptised. Um, my, my best mate, actually, he called me up a few days after camp and he's like, man, I've been thinking it's high time that I get baptised. I was like, man, I've just been thinking the same thing. It's high time that I get baptised. And, and so we did and that's how it happened. And, and so I have incredibly fond memories of, of baptism. Uh, and its importance. And what I want to do with you this morning is I just want to go through the passage and I want to ask that question, what is baptism? What is baptism? Let's have a look at the scriptures together and find out. Because the first thing you think, I think you'll notice in verses 1 to 6 is that baptism is about repentance. Have a look at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, to repent simply means to turn around. It, it, means, it means you need to turn around 180 degrees. Have you ever been in that situation where you've been driving somewhere uh, and, uh, and you just know you've gone the wrong way and you just have to go completely in the other direction? Uh, I can remember a time, it was actually on our, it was on our wedding night and my best mate was the kind of driver and, and he was, his job was to get us from the wedding reception to our, to our B&B. Uh, and, and it was out in the countryside, and, and he was, it was just like 10 years ago now, he was using Google Maps. And, and Google Maps wasn't as reliable then as it is now. And I remember he, it was dark, you know, countryside, pitch black, winding roads, and, he's, and he's, he's taking us down this long and windy, narrow road um, because the map says that the B&B is at the end of this road. And we get to the end of the road, and it's a paddock. And there's like cows and, and stuff in it. And, 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 and so, so he, he couldn't even turn around. It was so narrow and so dark um, that, that he, he just backed up. Can you imagine him? You know, we're sitting in the back and he's just, he's just backing up um, because we went the wrong way. Well, John the Baptist is kind of saying this when he says repent. Uh, he's saying you think you're going the right way. Uh, you think your map is accurate. He's saying to the crowds but you're not going the right way. In fact, you're going entirely the wrong way and you need to turn around. Entirely the wrong way. Uh, so he's not saying, um, you guys are you're sort of on the right track, but let me help you. Let me give you a few tips and tricks about how you can like, correct your course to get it on the right trajectory. No, he's saying turn around completely. Uh, this is an indictment on, on the people that they're going entirely the wrong way, even though they think they've been going the right way. And do you see in the, the verse the reason that John the Baptist gives for people to repent? He says, have a look, he says, repent, why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is long here. So it's like we're going 100 kilometers an hour down a freeway, the freeway of life. But he's saying, repent for the kingdom has come near. The king is coming to you headlong the other direction. And you're heading for a crash collision with the king. 
God's purposes, God's kingdom is coming the other way. So you need to turn around and get with the program. Um, It also helps when we think about this idea of the kingdom of heaven coming near. If you break down the word kingdom into its two parts, right? You've got king and dom, right? King's domain. The kingdom is about the king's domain. So you've got the king and you've got his domain. And in this context, uh, Jesus, Jesus is the king and his domain is the world that he's come to, right? At Christmas, right? He's come to his domain and, 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 and the idea uh, is that uh, God has given us the world to take care of. He's given us our very selves to take care of. Um, but we've actually stuffed it up. We've ruined it. And now the king's coming back to go, what have you done with what I've given you? What have you done with my domain? I, I, I want it back now. And, and it's not looking good. So we need to repent, right? Um, let me give you another analogy. Hopefully it'll, it'll work for you. Still using traffic and cars, right? Imagine some rich guy. He's really good. He's a kind guy. And he lends you his Lamborghini. Has anyone ridden a, driven a Lamborghini? No, I neither have I. So anyway, uh, they're cool. They look awesome, right? So he's given, he's lent this precious Lamborghini, and 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 he's the owner, and he says, "Look, whatever you do, use petrol. Don't use diesel, okay? Just take care of my Lamborghini." But we're we're like, what does he know? He's just the owner, right? He doesn't know how to do this thing. So we decide to run it on diesel. What happens? It's destroyed. You've ruined it. I mean, I can't imagine how much that would cost to, to, to just a new engine for a Lamborghini, right? We've destroyed the car. And now the king's coming back, the rich guy's coming back and going, okay, I want it back now. What have you done with it? That's why John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Except for us, it's not a Lamborghini. It's something infinitely more precious. It's our souls. It's the world. It's the creation. It's our families. It's our relationships. God has given it all to us to steward. It's not ours. It's his. And we've ruined it. And now the king's coming back and going, okay, I want it back now. And someone's going to pay. Someone's going to pay to fix it. And that's why he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 6, look at it. That's why it says in verse 6, they were baptized by John in the river Jordan. And what were they doing? Have a look. Verse 6, what were they doing? They were confessing their sins. I stuffed it up. I ruined it. I destroyed it. This creation that you've given me, this soul that you've given me, these relationships that you've given me, I've stuffed it up. I'm in big trouble because someone's got to pay. Now, there's another interesting thing in in this uh, that I want to point out to you in verse 6. Because it says that they were baptized by John where? Where were they baptized? In the River Jordan, it says. Uh, Now, here's a picture of the River Jordan, right? Um, And and this was an important place to the Jews. This wasn't just any old um, place, right? This was the River Jordan. Can you remember what happened significantly for the Jews uh, at the River Jordan in their memory? They had been wandering around in the desert for 40 years in the wilderness as a punishment for their rebellion against God, right? It's hot, it's miserable, and it's the consequence for their sins that they've been wandering through, right? And then through the Joshua, what happened? They got to the edge of the promised land, and then God parted the River Jordan, and they passed through the waters, out of the land of slavery and out of the place where they were suffering the consequences for sin, out of the desert and into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Can you see what's going on here when John the Baptist is baptizing people in the River Jordan? He's saying that you've been in this land of, of, of the wilderness and, and, and the drought and the suffering and you pass through the waters into a new life. God had rescued them through the waters. And of course, that story goes back to another story where the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, the, the great, greatest story of the Old Testament, the Exodus, remember, when they were in a kingdom and the king's was, name was Pharaoh and his domain was a miserable one, slavery and, and hard yakka and, and, and a, a horrible kingdom that they were a part of, oppressed as slaves. But God sent Moses, let my people go. He sent the ten plagues. And finally Pharaoh relented and said, let them go. And they left. And then what did they, they got to a bit of a bump in the road, so to speak, called the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and goes, no, stuff that. I'm not letting you go. He chases after them. They cry out. God again parts the Red Sea, remember? This is the imagery of baptism. He parts the body of water. They pass through. And Pharaoh and the army chase after them. This power of darkness, this, this king, this evil ruler, chases them through. And what does God, God do? He brings the water back and he buries the powers of darkness and the evil ruler under the sea, at the bottom of the sea. And so water is also a symbol of God's judgment on the forces of darkness. Any kingdom that resists his rule and reign, God buried, like he buried Pharaoh, under the water. And of course, this reminds us of another story in the Old Testament in Genesis 6, where God had made a beautiful world. He handed it over to Adam and Eve. And then by Genesis 6, God looks at it and goes, all the inclinations of their heart are only evil all the time. They're stuffing it up. They're ruining it. So what did he, what did he do about it? In Genesis 6, he sent a flood, waters of judgment to wash the earth clean again of the rebellion and this re the, these rebellious people. Uh, and the waters of judgment, they were drowned on these people who, who were rejecting God. And then what did God provide though? What did he provide? He provided an ark for one family, Noah and his family. And if they took refuge in that ark, they would pass through those waters of judgment safely through to the other side into a new world. Can you see all of the symbolism that is wrapped up in this idea of baptism and passing through the River Jordan, through the Red Sea? So Noah and his family passed through safely to the other side. And so that's why baptism is about repentance. It's about leaving the land of slavery and rebellion and punishment for sin, passing through the waters of God's judgment for that safely in the ark that God provides and coming out the other side into the land of freedom, forgiveness and everlasting life. Verses 1 to 6, baptism is about repentance. Now let's look at the next thing in this passage, verses 7 to 10. Baptism is not enough. Baptism is not enough. Look at verse 7. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. I'll tell you the story of a CEO of a major airline who... Um, he just nearly completed negotiations with his pilots, flight attendants and mechanics uh, who had conceded to take large pay cuts to save the airline from bankruptcy. 
But at the same time, unbeknownst to them, the CEO and other executives were slated to receive millions in bonuses for saving the company through those very negotiations. When the truth about the executive bonuses came out, the unions balked and it put the whole deal to save the airline in jeopardy. So, so the CEO seemed contrite and he, apo- he apologised and he explained himself in the following days. And, and a few days later, he resigned with a 1.6 million US dollar severance package. Now we've grown used, we, we've, we've become used to that kind of PR strategy, that carefully managed PR exercise of contrition and sorrow. Uh, We've grown used to that kind of skin-deep artificial repentance and sorrow that is just about uh, managing the situation uh, and coming out unscathed. Um, But, you know, CEOs aren't the only ones who are good at the PR exercise and acting um, sad and sorrowful for our sins and mistakes. Uh, Think of habitual liars. I mean, they've made an art of duping people um, through their sorrow uh, for for what they've done. Or people who struggle with addiction. The sad reality is that people who struggle with addiction can can be skilled at, 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 at faking sorrow, not because there's been a turnaround, not that there's been an actual change in behaviour, but actually just to... Um, trick people and dupe them. Uh, and, 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 and this is, the, in some ways, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come to, they come to um, John the Baptist to be baptised, and he's like, no, 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 I'm not having any of this. This is a PR exercise. This is artificial. This is a fake. You want the outward sign of baptism, and you want nothing to do with the inward reality that it actually represents, right? And these guys were the upper echelons of, communi- of, the, of the society. Right? These were the power brokers, um, you know, uh, the, the, the top 5%, the elites, right? These were the religious guys. And, and, and they were faking it. They weren't legit. They just wanted the outward sign without the inward reality. Because, you see, a baptism is a wholesale renunciation of our former way of life. And that's what we, we need. And a wholehearted reorientation of our lives towards God. But these guys weren't going to change anything. They weren't planning on changing anything. They were just going to go through the motions so that they could have the outward sign without the inward reality. And so he calls them a brood of vipers. I kind of imagine, you know, and, and this, I'm not mean trying to be political, but imagine you had the prime minister here, right? And me, and I was like, you brood of vipers. Or, or um, you know, imagine you have, you have like someone like Lee Sales or something from the ABC, like these powerful people that, that hold this power, and, and he's like, you brood of vipers, right? He's not trying to win friends and influence people. Uh, he's calling them to account and calling them to repent. Uh, and he has no fear for what they might do to him or what they might say to him uh, because he wants them to get right with God, and that is his priority. So... The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were deluded to think that baptism was enough. The outward ritual without the inner reality. Yet how many of us today can't 
are also not able to see a difference that God has made in our lives. How many of us today, um, if we were asked, what difference has Jesus made in your life, we wouldn't be able to identify the change that he's made or wrought in our lives and and the turnaround that's happened in our own lives. Um, We need to reflect for ourselves on what it is that we've repented of and how it is that God has made us new. Because he says to him in uh, in verse 7, John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You've got to actually see that turnaround. Now, admittedly, that happens over time. It can be a slow process. We can have victory and huge victory in some areas and no victory in in other areas. Um, But there needs to be a turnaround. That's why John the Baptist says, repent. Baptism is not enough. Uh, at the end of the um, uh, one order of service uh, that we uh, go through in the Anglican um, baptism liturgy, uh, after uh, Hannah and, and the sponsors um, say they turn away from um, their sins and, and the evil one, and then they say they turn to Christ, the minister says, Almighty God, deliver you from the powers of darkness and lead you in the light of Christ to his everlasting kingdom. That's what is said. And, and I want you to see that that's a similar motion to what happened with the Israelites in Egypt. That they moved from the land of slavery through the waters of the Red Sea, that Pharaoh and the powers of darkness were buried and judged in the bottom of the sea and they moved out into a new life. But in our case, the powers of darkness is not Pharaoh or Xi Jinping or Adolf Hitler or whoever ruler you want to say. The ruler that baptism signifies we've been set free from is a spiritual power in our hearts, which is sin. And that's the power that's broken through the cross of Christ and that baptism is symbolizing, that there's actually a power inside of us that through Jesus has been broken and destroyed and buried at the bottom of the sea and so that we're set free and we have freedom to eternal life. And that's what we see in this sign of baptism. But the reality is that it's all completely useless to you if all you have is the outward sign without the inner spiritual reality, which comes to us by faith, which is why John the Baptist is so hard on the Sadducees and Pharisees, playing religious games without a genuine repentance and renewal. So those are the two things in the passage today that I want to draw out to you. In verses 1 to 6, that baptism is about repentance And verses 7 to 10, that baptism is not enough. We need faith in what baptism points to, which is the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the powers of darkness being broken through what he's done for us on the cross. And so I want to finish with you uh, with a story uh, that uh, hopefully illustrates and captures some of what it is that this sign of baptism points to. It's the story of a guy called Billy Deacon and a, a, a boat called the Green Lily. You might see uh, on the slide there's a, there's a boat, a massive uh, uh, ship there, there's a lifeboat and up there there's a, there's a helicopter. This is a painting of something that really happened. It was on, a, on November 19 in 1997 uh, and the Green Lily, a 3,000 tonne cargo vessel and its crew members found itself in a ferocious storm off the coast of the Shetland Islands. Uh, The winds were over 100 kilometres an hour 
And the waves were over 15 metres high. I mean, get your head around that, 15 metres high. Uh, and uh, for the entire day, uh, it was just being battered by this storm. And from early in the morning, uh, the Coast Guard, dis- Coast Guard dispatched um, this lifeboat and this helicopter to try and rescue the 15 crew one by one. And Billy Deacon was one of the men, he was a winchman from the Coast Guard helicopter. And that day he rescued 10 people one by one, lowered down onto the boat, harnessing them up and lifting them up into the helicopter. But after he rescued the last man, a gigantic wave swept Billy Deacon off the boat and into the raging storm. They wanted to help but they needed to get their crew members to safety immediately and out of those conditions. So they had to go back, uh, drop them down in safety, and they came back to look for Billy Deacon. But they never found him. He died in the whole process. This is a true story. You can look it up. So on that day, 15 crew members were saved. They were rescued, lived to breathe another day because of the heroic sacrifice of one man, Billy Deacon, who was plunged down into the depths of the sea so that those 15 crew members could escape and be rescued and live another day. In the Old Testament, we've already said that Noah was rescued from the waters of God's judgment by taking refuge in the ark. God provided an ark for them to to, to be rescued and to be safe. Well, in the New Testament, baptism points to the fact that we can be rescued from the waters of God's coming judgment by taking refuge in the ark that he's provided. And it's not this time a wooden boat, but it's a wooden cross. Because Jesus in our place was submerged on the cross under the waters of God's judgment, taking the price that we deserve for rebelling against the king for destroying the good creation and life that he's given us. He paid the price on the cross so that every one of us who take refuge in that ark, in that cross of Christ, can pass through safely the waters of God's judgment through to the other side to eternal life and eternal goodness and eternal forgiveness. This is the good news of the gospel and this is what we express in baptism. And it's good news, isn't it? This is what God has done for us. Amen? Amen.